Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Hello again, listeners. It's another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. Joining me today, uh, direct from work, so very smart looking down the camera at me, is Paul Williams. How are you, Paul? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. How are you? All right, yeah. I mean, uh, life outside of Arsenaldom is a little bit better than everything surrounding Arsenal at the moment. There's a lot of negativity, uh, not helped by the result at the weekend. Yeah, I... I had a feeling it was coming, to be honest. I played football with a West Ham fan. One of my best mates is a West Ham fan. <laughs> I spoke to him just before the game. He was like, oh, I thought you'd ring me afterwards. I was like, no, 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 no. I thought I'd get this out of the way. <laughs> he was like, why? And I said, well, I think you're going to beat us. Because we feel fragile again, don't we? Fragile and a little bit out of ideas. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty accurate it's this weird thing where a bit like Wenger over the previous two seasons um, you know Emery's looking at the squad the collection of players he has at his disposal is, is trying to compensate for weaknesses but every time you compensate for one weakness then you create another weakness somewhere else uh, you know so if you try and uh, try and do anything to make us not being complete defensive clusterfuck then you end up making us pretty toothless going forward uh, except for the Iwobi Kalasinac combination which is another story all in itself is for, in terms of bizarre offsettings um, and you know West Ham have been in really good form recently this is the best. This is the best run of form West Ham have had uh, in about twenty five, thirty years, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and um, they played some nice football on Saturday. I mean, I, I don't think anyone would have any complaints from our side about the result. Um, and I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before that having gone to the uh, home game against West Ham earlier in the season, they were actually a bit unlucky not to win that game. Yeah. They could very easily have been three goals up at half time. So um, it's very disappointing from my point of view that I look at a game away at West Ham where we've got a pretty decent record of being, or we could lose that game. But I just think it's it's where we are all of a sudden. Um, yeah, well, I mean, this is the best West Ham team that there's been in many years, and it is the worst. This and the last two seasons are the worst Arsenal team that we had seen since the mid-90s. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's going to intersect at sometimes. In the same way that, you know, we can feel very depressed looking up at Spurs, but this is the best Spurs team they've had since the 60s. Yeah, they was playing against one man yesterday. <laughs> so, you know, at the end of the day... Um, Every, these things do come in cycles and we have to just take take our lemons at some sometimes uh, you know particularly well I mean you said beforehand that you were reading my, my latest epic rant on Daily Canon website trying to explain the mess we're in and the limits of the financial uh, power that we have at the moment and yeah there's been a lot of cock-ups um, and if you make a lot of cock-ups for long enough then you end up cocked up <laughs> well I've seen that list of players that you um, made that we didn't get a transfer fee for. That's almost the first team squad. Yeah, I mean, it it is one of those things that we we kind of do talk about these things slightly abstractly. You know, about the we're all aware the mistakes have been made, but we it's not often that you know we actually really hone it down like that. And I found myself starting to to look at it and thinking, oh, that's yeah, I know that's bad, and then. And then I actually looked at everything from that five-year period and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it, well, it's mad. And I think it's possibly in a way Arsenal get away with it because football fans are quite short-term. Um, so I've like my thing for the last few months has been the fact that we've lost Sandy because all the Jack Wilshire and maybe about to lose Aaron Ramsey on the free transfer. Yeah. But apparently Juventus are prepared to take 10 million euros Take him now. Oh, that's the news today, um, isn't it? Yeah, we're after yeah. twenty. They're willing to pay ten. <sighs> Is it worth letting him go for ten? Given that, well, I think if he's if he's not being played, and you can get him off the wage bill, and you're getting money to do it, I maybe suppose, that's worth doing. I, I suppose it depends on on who you're bringing in. Uh, you know, if 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 letting him go gives you the flexibility to bring someone else in in January who can contribute, then I can see the logic in it. But um, yeah. but given that you know the players we're looking at 
are supposed to have transfer fees which are which which are going to be exceeding that amount i mean yes we can probably stretch a little bit more but and yeah. the wage situation is probably the greater issue but at the same time you know top four is looking unlikely and we have to try and learn a bit from last season where in bringing Aubameyang in we then let Walcott and Jirugo uh, and then promptly well basically didn't win a game in the Europa League against 10 men of Atletico Madrid for 18 minutes because we had no firepower on the bench because we'd our only our best striker at the time was um, was ineligible to play and it was a game that turned as it turned out would have been absolutely made for the substitutes of Walcott and Giroud they would have been absolutely perfect for that and that essentially cost us Champions League football and another 50 million quid this year so you know you, 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 you've got to You've got to look at how look at your options, and you know who are the best teams left in the Europa League, and is Aaron Ramsey possibly someone who could be useful? You know, given given how well he tends to play against Chelsea, and they're the strongest team left in it. You know, it, I'd want something more than just freeing up some some wage packet and not get anything in return if we're going to let him go. Mm. Yeah, no, I, well, I think that's inarguable so I'm not <laughs> going to argue with you um, well that saves time <laughs> um, but yeah no just to the point I was starting to make around because all the Wilshire and potentially Ramsey is that I, I've been talking about that it's like one of the things that annoys me is that we've lost three very good footballers whatever you think of them they are good footballers for no money at, but looking at it in isolation whereas as you, you've made clear in your piece, it's not they're not isolated incidents by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, someone like Mikel Arteta, he was retiring. You yeah, accept that. But when you're letting players go off to play for other clubs just because you've allowed them to run their contracts down, and you don't get, I mean, bearing in mind, ultimately, selling pl- players at vastly inflated fees is almost what Wenger bought built his arsenal on yes indeed so to, to like go completely the other way um and then start spending 50 million quid on obama yang 50 million you know there's no resale value on obama yang really yeah probably not going to be much on lacazette and it's just a complete old pace and i think because obviously i you know i haven't finished reading your piece but <laughs> It does. I, I can imagine where it's going. It just—it's just strategic mismanagement writ large, isn't it? Well, it, it is that weird thing where you know I—I I suppose that. It, it, you know, I, we were all quite loyal Wenger supporters for the most part until quite late in the end game. You know, some on Daily Cannon, we you know some of us went off at different points, but. You know, there was that point where you looked at what him and the club were doing, and it wasn't just as diminishing results on the pitch. But it was when I was looking at it, looking at it and thinking, you know, if I was some like thirteen-year-old playing football manager and trying to fantasise about how to run the football team, and but what was re- within the defined by what is realistically achievable, it's hard to think that and, unless you just went for all-out nuclear option that you could have actually done a much worse job. Than we achieved in the last in the last couple of seasons, bar the FA Cup victory against Chelsea, which obviously was a very sweet moment. But um, if you looked at what was happening in a broader sense and looked at what was happening on the pitch, the, the level of and speed of drop off of how well things were going from you know not the absolute pinnacle was alarming, and it got to the point you know for me that's why I felt I can't support Wenger anymore because. He's overseeing whether he's in complete control or just partial control. He's overseeing a, a massive clusterfuck, you know. Yeah. You know, it's one thing that yes, we are we haven't got as good good players and the team's not doing as well. But when you looked at the fact that, you know, and then as I mentioned, you know, in the last five years or whatever, we spent like three hundred million quid net, not gross net on transfers, and yet our team is no better. Yeah. And in fact, is possibly slightly worse than it was before we spent any of that money. <laughs> Which is like mind-fucking, um, given that Arsenal had managed to, prior to that, 
yes, obviously the landscapes change. There's more competitive teams around us. There's more money sloshing around. But prior to that point, Arsenal had managed to qualify for the top four every season, while simultaneously having an almost zero net spend over like a 15-year period. And yeah, of course, transfer fees are inflated and wages are inflated. But to go from being like the ultimate model of comparatively successful parsimony and then under the same group of people go to a situation where basically you're frittering away all the money you've saved up in that period of time whilst not improving the team at all is, yeah, I mean, hey, let's face it, the, the writing was always going to be on the wall when any, as soon as anyone took the time to look at that. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, just for those who uh, who either aren't going to read the article, haven't had a chance to. Yet, I'm just going to read off one thing, which is the thing that Paul referred to, which is about the players we've let go in that five year period, the last five years of the Wenger reign. Um, you can do it in the style of Billy Joel. Then we didn't start the fight. <laughs> I'm not sure the names would scan, actually. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, starting in that summer of 2013, we, we let uh, Johan Juru, Danielson, Arshavin, Andre Santos, Shamak, Squilacci, Jovino, Bentner, Fabianski, Sanya, Podolski, Nabri, Rizitsky, Diaby, Gibbs, Gabriel, Chesney, Coquelin, Giroud, Santi Cazorla, Jack Wilshire, Lucas Perez, Joel Campbell, Debushi, Jeffrey Adelaide, and soon Aaron Ramsey, Petr Cech, and Danny Welbeck for a grand total of £77 million pounds for, the, for a lot of them. And bearing in mind, you know, that a number of those players are homegrown and they should have inflated value, bearing in mind a number of those players have played at a very, very high level, and bearing in mind that only probably three of them were injury-wise busted flushes, really. You know, yeah, okay, Diaby, we, by the time he was let go, we weren't going to get a fee for him. Rizitsky, likewise, and Santi Gazzola was a massive gamble by Villarreal and one that's paid off for them significantly. But all the rest were players who didn't have injury problems and either soon prior to that period or even around that period were still contributing in the first team picture um, and then you look at the transfers that other teams have achieved selling players you know um, or the most recent one being Solanke going from Liverpool for virtually 20 million quid despite the fact he scored one one goal in England in his in his career um, I mean what a fucking mess <laughs> <laughs> You have to laugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is one of those things where, as I say, when you actually take the time to look at it, it becomes astounding that that, that such a chronic period of mismanagement has taken place. And it leaves us in a situation where, as you say, we go to West Ham away and we're not feeling confident about result before the game. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking yeah. at the performance itself, what did you, what were your takeaways from the game apart from the fact that West Ham played pretty well again? Um, I think <laughs> <laughs> if you want to take anything I away did, at all, well, do you know, I, I was I was chatting to someone at work when I got in this morning, and he said to me, "Is this a classic Arsenal question? You know, do you know how Arsenal are going to play inside the first 15 minutes of a game? And I think the answer to that is generally yes. And the first 15 minutes weren't great. Um, we sort of woke up a little bit in that middle period of the first half. Mm. But, I mean, I think you could possibly say West Ham maybe were slightly lucky to win the game because it didn't feel they, like they did a right lot either. That being said, I mean we didn't really create anything and as another, yet yeah, another friend of mine James Craddock um, mentioned to me this morning on WhatsApp he, he said to me I think the results are matching the performances now um, which mm. obviously harks back to this pe uh, period of time 22 games where Arsenal went unbeaten but we were slightly getting away with it a little bit mm. um, I mean the, the positive from the game that I, I took out of uh, out of it I've become very inarticulate was Alex Iwobi's performance I thought he was the yeah. only one really that tried to create anything either with his passing or by actually running at West Ham um, and he come come away from the game and people on Twitter were saying oh shit he didn't do anything he didn't drive the game on it was, 
he's one player in a team that isn't functioning very well um, at the moment. Arsenal seem, uh, Unai Emery at the moment seems to have decided that he can live without Mesut Ozil's creativity, but which is fine as long as you've got pace and you've got width and you've got other weapons to hit teams with. Mm. I, I I found the game really to be a carbon copy of pretty much most of the away season last year. The year before that, you could go back to. Um, we just seem to be very easy to defend against West West Ham. Just filled in holes. Yeah. I don't, you know, they defended well, but I wouldn't say that they were amazing. But we're just easy to play against because we don't. Aaron Ramsey made a difference when he came on um, for a bit, for about ten minutes. Um, the the thing I have, I think, with Aubameyang and Lacazette starting games together is where do you go if that doesn't work? And mm. we still haven't got a solution to that. Well, it's um, I mean, the alarming thing is. As you say, you know, people are criticising Awobi despite the fact he's only he's the only one to have a creative impact. But uh, it, you know, it's partly defined by the fact that he was our only creative player that we played <clears throat> until Ramsey came on. And Ramsey is is a sort of semi creator, semi finisher. He's a sort of uh, a jack of many trades. Whereas Awobi is fundamentally a creative player or in you know not necessarily the Fabregas-esque passer but he is uh, he is someone who is going to provoke the opposition defense and put them in positions they don't want to be in and, and make things happen but you look at the rest of the the players on the pitch and none of the rest of them you'd count as creative none of them none of, none of them are incisive passers you know um, Guendouzi does have a good long ball on him but his passing radar was off at the weekend um, Xhaka is not really an incisive passer he's very good at controlling the tempo of a game he's very good at switching the play and, and he's very good at playing the kind of passes which are going to facilitate another creative player you know um, which is but then if you've got no other creative player except for someone who's playing out on the flank having to do everything on his own then that's just not going to work and the difficulty is you know we found ourselves going to West Ham and we were playing a more defensive formation than they were I mean I think that is quite telling in itself I mean it's also significant that since Jack Wilshire has got injured West Ham have actually got some legs, legs in midfield now and therefore are defensively competent as opposed to being you could just walk through them in like, uh, at the start of the season which is somewhat counted against us um, but it's quite funny actually um, just on Jack I, I caught him referring to West Ham, West Ham as they yeah. and I think there, there was also another moment where um, he was sort of telling Jamie Redknapp off for going on about how Spurs are, are so great but they haven't won anything it's, okay he's not Arsenal but he's still Arsenal well, he, he's sort of made me like him a little bit well, he did. He did make a point of not only uh, pointing out that Spurs hadn't won anything, but Arsenal in their worst period of chaos have won three FA Cups. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But he didn't even well, do. It, right. he, di he didn't even do it in a kind of relish. He just did it as a kind of all right. Sit down. Shut up, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, to the point where Jimmy Redknapp had to agree with him, which is quite fun. But yeah, uh, I think actually the West Ham are a better balanced team without him because they were basically playing him and Mark Noble together, which means you've got no legs in midfield. Um, Do you know the, the interesting thing was my uncle messaged me midway through the second half. Obviously, he was having a very shit time and he wanted to share it with me. <laughs> it, um, it says it all that Samir Nasri is the best midfielder on the pitch. And I'd actually literally that second messaged him, not identical sentiments, but pretty similar. Nasri had a very good game for West Ham. Um, about 70 minutes. Well, Nasri is um, a very good footballer. He's just, it depends on whether he can stop being a dickhead long enough to make it pay off. Yeah. You know, there was a reason why Wenger bought him. There was a reason why he was a first choice player at Arsenal. And there's a reason why Man City paid at the time what was a large fee for a player with an expiring contract. Um, you know, ultimately, he is also a fundamentally creative player and doesn't offer you anything else. So, as long as your team has relative control of the ball, he should be quite effective. But I actually thought more important for West Ham was Felipe Anderson playing down the flanks, uh, which again was a perfect illustration of what this Arsenal squad hasn't had in a period of time, which is a winger. I mean, you know, 
Iwobi is playing more like a winger than he has previously. He's not always running inside as he did before, and he's being more aggressive with his runs into space and and, and running at the defence, which is great, and which is why his performances have improved. You know, Uno Emery's definitely got a greater, a better directness into his game, but he's still not really a, a traditional winger who's going to beat players and put crosses in, and and isn't hasn't quite got that that first few yards of electric pace it's something like a Jubilee yeah that's exactly what I was about to say he's quick just not yeah not Walcott quick well people are Walcott quick are they but um well, the difference is, of course, is Philip Henson can run with the ball rather better than Theo ever could. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. But then if you look at it, Philip Henderson is a £40 million winger, so he should be fucking good. You know what I mean? I mean, at the end of the day, the only players we've bought that are cost as much as Philip Henderson are Ozil, Lacazette and uh, Ibamiang, all three of whom... Are pretty good, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, we won't. We'll, we'll save talking about Özil for a little bit later. But, um, <laughs> but you know, West Ham have spent a lot of money this summer, um, and they've spent and they've spent for the most part well because um, they they bought players that they needed, um, and luckily for them, they also made some good choices, you know, buying Marco and Altovic for them turned out to be an absolute inspired signing when no one would have could have would have thought he could ever have been so effective for them given his career trajectory up to that point. He's a very good footballer, isn't he? I mean the game got going back to the home game, but I you know, uh, West Ham fell away after he got injured. I think if he'd still been on the pitch at full time with that home game the result could have been different. Yeah, um, I mean the thing is, you know, he's a bit thuggish, but he's very good. Well, the talent has never been in question. I mean, there was a reason why he was signed by Inter Milan as a teenager, and Mourinho was trying with him until eventually kind of went, "This guy's nuts," and then he bounced around for a bit, kind of falling out with coaches at multiple different football teams, and now he seems to have grown up a bit. And it's uh, West Ham are trying to trying to turn down money from China, which obviously he wants to go to, so he can earn three times what he's on at West Ham. <laughs> uh, particularly, as you know, you. Can, you're never going to win anything with West Ham, so why not? Why not? Why not take the dosh? I guess unless if now the bigger teams are in for you, but yeah. Um, I mean, we'll we'll talk a little bit about people as we're linked with and and, and Chinese dosh a, a little bit later, but yeah, I, I think one of the the really worrying things about the Arsenal team at the moment is we, as you alluded to, we did we had so little creativity. Um, and we seem to be doing that thing that we were doing for a period under Wenger which is playing five at the back just to try and resolve the fact that our defenders aren't very good um, but without really knowing how to make the team work I mean you know we were in our good run or even before then you know when we when we played against Chelsea and we lost but you know we created enough that actually we could have won the game we were playing yeah. we were playing the 4-2-3-1 which has always been Emery's preferred formation and it's been the the closest formation to fitting the players we have <laughs> um, even if it isn't entirely convincing now obviously our, our tactical setup has been largely influenced by injuries you know Mkhitaryan's out which means we don't have anyone that can play on the right at all unless you think unless you do actually agree with Ainsley Maitland-Niles that he might become a winger um, and it does mean that you end up forcing either playing Awobi on the right or Aubameyang on the right like we did at the weekend which really didn't work at all um, or you end up playing Bamming on the left. Uh, but even if it is a bit square pegs into round holes, it's a formation the team knows how to play. And it, it gives you that balance between creativity and defensive solidity as long as everyone is putting the work in. I mean, it's noticeable that the work rate of the team has dropped off a bit since when Emery first came in, I thought. Um, but I think it's partly because certain players are just getting tired. Um, you know, certain players have had to play every fucking week, um, partly because others have been injured. But it, you know, it, we, we've, there's a number of elephants in the room, isn't there? I mean, you know, before we get onto Urzel, which we will in a minute, and get onto Ramsey, which we ha- inevitably have to. Part of the problem is is that Monreal's injured, which means we're playing Kalasnach at left wing back. And I think probably a large part of the reason why we're playing this formation and not actually playing Urzel is that we're playing five at the back because basically, yeah, because he can't fucking defend. You know, he's great going forward, 
you know, as a, as a, as, an, as a late attacking wing back, he's excellent. But defensively, he's he's pony. It'd be um, even better if he could stay on side. Yes, well, but then, <laughs> Saturday, I, I I know it can happen, but bloody hell, bloody just hold your run, hold your run. Or the other player's got to play the pass quicker, you know. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> um, I don't know. He just seemed to be getting ahead of the ball very quickly. Um, but well, it was limited because of the predictability, as though it was easy to defend and play him offside because everyone knew that that's where the run was coming from because there was nothing yeah. coming from the other side of the pitch at all. But no, I, I think you're exactly right. I, 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 would we be playing five at the back if Monreal was fit? I'd. I don't think we would. I, although he's got to Mustafi. So. <laughs> yeah, but you can't play. You can't play twelve at the back, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone at the back. Maybe that's what we should do. Just go. Go full Mourinho. <laughs> goalkeeper nine at the back and Aubameyang up top to chase long balls. Um, but also, actually, um, mentioning Aubameyang, I do think that. If he's not scoring goals, he doesn't seem to be in games yeah. enough. And I think I've been having an argument with my uncle and another friend. Actually. I might even have mentioned it last time I was on the podcast about Lacazette and Aubameyang because my uncle and my friend are both like, oh, Aubameyang's a world-class finisher, I think he is. Um, although he does miss a few. Everyone misses a few. Harry Kane misses a few. Um but the point being is that Aubameyang is seen to be a better finisher than Lacazette. Lacazette, it feels to me, gives you so much more in the game. Mm. Oh, definitely. Know, he can hold the ball up, he'll work back into midfield. I'm not saying Aubameyang doesn't work, but it just feels he's almost, he's there just to get on the end of things, and that's his job. Well, I mean, that's part of the reason why why him and Ozil are not why Ozil's not being picked I think is because they're both players that they're quite singular in function you know Aubameyang is like I'm a goal scoring poacher whose job is to get on the end of things and occasionally run run wide to into the channels but basically that's what I do and that's all I do and I'm very good at it but that's but you're not going to get any massive big contribution to the overall play from him. And the thing about Özil is, he's a brilliant linker of play and a and a great passer. But he doesn't offer a great deal else. And so can you know can you play both of them in the same team against opposition that you feel the rest of your team is not strong enough to dominate against? And this is you know this is why it's it, it's it's a lot more complicated tactically than than the average twat on the telly tells you it's not just a case of picking your best players it's about trying and this is why Emery's struggling is he's trying to find a way to balance these different factors because if you play Ozil and Aubameyang you know you've got two players in a team who are going to offer nothing when it comes to winning the ball back you know Ozil works a lot harder than people give him credit for but tackling is not something he really ever does and, it, and, it, and even when he works back which is only sporadic it's only in to sort of jog to get into position rather and, and to slow people up he's never actually going to win you the ball back he's never really he's not an effective presser you know you see him when he tries to do it and he's it's not his thing and Aubameyang's the same they're, they're you know in the same way that Theo used to be uh, although Theo obviously wasn't the same level of player as either of those two and, and when you've got a dominant midfield that is brilliant on the ball if you've got a player like Cazorla who can receive the ball in any position and play the ball two-footed, or you've got a player like Fabregas at his peak who can basically run the tempo of the midfield, you can carry a couple of sort of defensive passengers or people yeah. who aren't going to be able to contribute much beyond their specific fun singular function. But this Arsenal team isn't defensively strong enough to be able to get away with that, and it isn't strong enough in midfield, except, you know... it except when everyone's on the top of their game it, you know unless you're playing against weaker opposition largely at home which is why you'll see Ozil get picked alongside Aubameyang for those home games against weaker teams but it's not happening in games away from home against stiff opposition or, or in the home games where we're going to be under a lot of pressure because the rest of our team isn't good enough to let you have both of those guys on the pitch at once now 
that's not really fair. And obviously there is other issues with Ozil, clearly about his salary and the limitations that imposes upon us. Um, I mean, just, just before we really fully go on to that, I also wanted to mention how much we're missing Rob Holding. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I read a statistical analysis which basically shows that our results without him are about three times worse than, you know, as a totality as they are with him. You know, which tells you a fair amount. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, as well, um, what probably hasn't helped us, well, it definitely hasn't, is losing Danny Welbeck. Yeah, sure. Because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if we start Lacco and Aubameyang together and that doesn't work, there's nowhere else for us to go in an attack in sense. Mm. Um, unless Enketia and... Um, What's the other young lad? Smithrow, Nelson. The seventeen-year-old. Smithrow, Saka. That's the fella. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you bring them on. No one's really gonna. Uh, they're, they're kids. You can't yeah. throw them in and expect them to dig you out of holes. You know, if Premier League football doesn't work that way. Um, so losing Welbeck, I think, has cost us a bit of uh, flexibility. In our attack, and also his work rate's fantastic. If you play exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly, because he could he he would probably start some of those games that maybe you wouldn't want to start Aubameyang in, and then you bring Aubameyang off the bench, and maybe away from home. That's what you know. If you're going to carry one luxury player, on the evidence of what we've seen over the last few weeks, maybe it should be Özil that gets the nod. But it seems now. I mean, if Inai Emery wanted to isolate Meza Ozil, it doesn't feel like he could have done a lot more than he has. <laughs> but it is equally that strange thing that you, you don't often get a manager who's trying to isolate a player who then, whenever he picks him, he makes him captain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, 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 again, gives you that pause for thought, you know. Um, but it's almost like... Uh, it's like a reasonable adjustment at work. Is has Mesut done a DSE assessment? I don't know. Um, it's very strange. I, I, I think you know, and you've probably said it in your piece. You probably have already said it in your piece, and I've read it and I just can't remember. <laughs> but, maybe, you know, maybe not. For Özil to get a three hundred and fifty grand a week contract or whatever that contract. Um, is it you, you're hamstringing the next manager before he, he's come in and um, I, I don't know how Arsenal can resolve this yeah because he because Ozil's not going anywhere unless 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 he's literally left with no choice but then you know who else is going to offer him the kind of salary he's getting at Arsenal and Ozil, you know, might also be thinking, I've got a three-year contract on this massive stack of cash. You know, the team demonstrably gets slightly better results with me in it. So maybe the manager will go before I do. <laughs> yeah, a bit of Bruce Rioch and Ian Wright. Yeah, or Paul Pogger and Jose Mourinho. <laughs> yeah. Um, not interesting to see Pogba... Uh, Pogba looking like the absolute world-class player again as soon as Mourinho's gone. <laughs> I didn't see the game yesterday, but I happened to flick it on just afterwards and I saw like, the pass for the goal, obviously. Mm. It's a lovely ball. But the, the guy is masterclass. I've got uh, one of my best mates is a Spurs fan and he just messaged me on that group game. The guy, uh, I roll. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I didn't see the game, but I have just seen the highlight reel. <laughs> Well, it's also that thing of like, you know, we know about that Arsenal because we had that a couple of years ago, didn't we? Where we, he, he broke the record for the most saves in a Premier League match <laughs> when yeah. we totally outplayed United and lost 3-1. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I, I just don't know. I mean, you know, I think all of us that are on this podcast have broadly been quite supportive of Meza Ozil. Um, um, but... I mean, even me, I, I think looking at it, looking at the situation now, it's what 
that you can understand why they gave gave him the contract because they didn't want to lose him on a free at, at the same time as losing Sanchez. But just the further and further we get away from that contract yeah. decision, it seems like a massive, massive fuck up. And I have to say, my friend Chris, who I fell out with over Meza Azul mm-hmm. all those years ago, who I've um, probably moaned about quite a lot in the hour. I think he was probably right that it wasn't a very good decision. Well, I mean, it's uh, it certainly wasn't a good from a strategic sense because, again, it was Arsenal, again, allowing a player to run down his contract, being indecisive and then being backed into a corner where either they have to sell him for far less than he's worth or give him a bigger wage than he's, well, than he's worth. You know, we saw Theo do exactly the same thing five or six years ago, whatever it was, you know, where he said he got 140 grand a week having had one really good season um, and I mean happily you know uh, in some recent interview Raul Sanier basically said yeah if a if a if a player doesn't with 18 months left in their contract or two years left on their contract doesn't uh, doesn't come to you know there isn't pro- evident obvious progress then it's time to make a decision <laughs> uh, you know, he's saying that he's saying most contracts are now five-year contracts, and if at the end, if at the end of the third year it doesn't look like that contract's going to get extended, you know, it, it, it's not totally explicit, but it makes it pretty clear how he differs from the previous regime, which was always just letting players string the club along. Oh yeah, yeah, we're in negotiations. We'll sign. We'll do it at the end of the year. I don't want to be distracted from my football. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, yeah. And and we saw that starting to happen from 2010 onwards, and the club just hasn't fucking learned. I mean, it's it it, it's, it, it feels like you know they're some kind of don't lack the cognitive capacity as an organisation to recognise patterns. <laughs> yeah. Um. And the Özil contract is obviously a, obviously a a function of that. Um. So I suppose we have to talk about Rambo. Um. I mean, we've we've already kind of briefly talked about whether we should take the money if Juventus are offering him. But I mean, if if he does end up staying till the summer, I mean, do, do you think the manager's right to a try and build the team for the future in the absence of Ramsey and, and rely on him purely as a bench option, or should we, to quote someone else, rinse everything we can out of him <laughs> before he goes? Um. It's difficult, and I, I think obviously the manager wants to bring his bring in his own style, and purely the players will follow. So, I I think with Aaron Ramsey, generally, he's for all his qualities. I don't think he's ever absolutely convinced everyone, and you look at the impact that he made. To, on a small scale on Saturday and the impact he made on a much larger scale when he came on against Spurs mm. and he was fantastic for that 45 minutes um, it was like he was conducting lightning um, but he doesn't play like that all the time and I think that in this system that Emery wants to or the, well, particularly the system that Emery's playing at the moment does he fit into that and I'm not sure that he does. Um, yeah, that's that's where I am. Yeah, There's I mean, just going to be a lot more of humming there. I mean, I think if if we are playing this five at the back formation, yeah, we are going to struggle to fit Ramsey in, and unless the manager is willing to be braver about his central midfield and take more risks, as far as that's concerned. But obviously, we saw, you know, we saw under Arsene Wenger that a Ramsey Jacker midfield can work very well on occasions, but can also be a very bad idea on occasions. Yeah. Uh, but depending on how the opposition set up and how much mobility the opposition team has, um, I suppose it largely depends if if the manager ends up reverting to a four at the back system anytime soon. You know, which I suppose is partly dependent on on Nacho's return and other and other factors as well, and, and how well Koscielny's holding up. Because uh, it's fairly clear that the manager doesn't totally trust Mustafi. <laughs> Funny that. Um, <laughs> And so that's. You think we'll get a transfer fee for him one day? <laughs> well, uh, someone will buy him for a bit, but we'll make a loss. Um, I, I suppose. Yeah. 
I mean, we're still at the stage, aren't we, where, you know, we know historically what Unai Emery's preferred formation is, but we have no idea what his preferred formation with this team, this squad, this football club is in this league, you know, because um, it hasn't been very consistent and that's been partly due to injuries, but it's also... You know, Arsene Wenger was a. Everything was about the system, and you'd you'd be shoehorned into the system whether you fit or not, <laughs> whether whether you'd ever played in that position before in your life. <laughs> you'd you'd find a way to squeeze you in, and and when the team was great, it worked well, and when the team wasn't so great, it it didn't. It looked a bit chaotic. But with Unai Emery, he's you know famously adaptive with his system, but now he's, but he hasn't even established a system to adapt yet, so we don't. We're as fans trying to analyse his tactical approach when there isn't really a consistent tactical approach to analyse and and we don't know how much of it is influenced by, you know, the injuries we've had, which have obviously massively destabilised things. Um, you know, it's no, no coincidence that since Nacho Monreal and Rob Holding got injured, the team's f- results have dropped off significantly. Bellerin. Bellerin as well, yeah. I mean, they were well. They were our three best defenders in the early part of the season, weren't they? You know. Yeah. Um, and assuming Holden can come back from his injury successfully, him and Bellerin are the most likely to have a long-term feature at the club if we can keep hold of them uh, out of anyone in the defensive uh, third in in the team. Um, and. And once you've got the defence being a bit more solid, then obviously that's going to give the manager a lot more scope to to play around the different midfield options. Whereas at the moment he's going very much safety first. Um, what, what did you think of? Because I've seen a lot of questions about this online. What did you think of him playing Genduzi ahead of Torreira at the weekend? Um, it was a little bit of a surprise, I guess. Um, I sort of like that Emery doesn't just throw out what he thinks is his best 11 every week. Um, I I think that's a healthy way to do it. I mean, you could look at it and say, well, maybe he got it wrong on Saturday, but then Gunduzi, for the fact that I was complaining about him not having enough nows in the final third, he was unlucky not to score. Um, So I, I think... You know, Arsene Wenger always said you pay for a young player's education with points and maybe, maybe there's something in that on Saturday. Maybe that's nothing to do with it. I, I, I didn't have a problem with it per se. I think, you know, there's always a lot of talk about it. is he a defensive midfielder? Indeed, he is a central midfielder. Yeah. So in in that sense, fine. I, I, you know... He's he's proved that he can play for the Arsenal first team, and you know people have good days, he will have bad days. I generally don't think there was there was a problem with with that particular selection. Um, yeah, I mean I'm in totally agreement with you. I I, I I I sort of didn't see why people were so so. Ran- I mean I suppose it's Arsenal fans on Twitter, so hey. Um, but. But yeah, I don't see why why people were were unhappy because essentially Torreira's form has dropped off a bit in the last few weeks. He's start he's looked a bit leggy and a bit tired and less effective in recent games. Um, and also, Genduzi is is a bit more of a box to box style player and therefore is more likely theoretically to provide some support to the attack if. If you can get some sort of control and if the defensive base is strong enough, which there weren't enough players around him playing well enough. I mean, Jackal wasn't great. He really struggled with West Ham's press. Um, I think I think that's the difficulty, isn't it? It's um, where, when the team isn't playing well and you're a 19 year old kid. How 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 do you lift the team and how can you lift the team? I mean. We'll talk about this moment till the day we all die. But you know, Patrick Vieira coming on the, the age of yeah. was he still nineteen or was he 20? nineteen? He was still nineteen, but he was special, and you could see that from the first yeah. second he got on the ball. It, um, yeah, he had a big person, he had big quality, and he had big personality. And I sound like Arsene Wenger now, but it's <laughs> true. Um, and Le Grand Saucis as well, but anyway, that's. <laughs> 
Gunduzi is a very good player, but obviously he's a good player. You you don't get to have the minutes and the Arsenal first team without being a good player, but he's just not. As a friend's dad once said to me, you need to be a special player to play for Arsenal Football Club, and he's not a special player yet. Well, it's also, I mean, you know, it's a bit like when when we were going through our goalkeeping problems, and, you know, and fans can't help comparing. And if you're, you know, it's it's hard if you're a young goalkeeper and you're being compared to Lehman, Seaman, you know, uh, Pat Jennings, all the way back to fucking Jack Kelsey, <laughs> or or you're a striker and you're being compared, you know, you're trying to follow Ian Wright and Thierry Henry and then, you know, the two great seasons out of Van Percy, You know, the it's not to mention the other strikers who've played for the club in the past it's it's their big boots to fill and um mo- the fact is is most young players are not going to be Patrick Vieira or Cesc Fabregas who turn up yeah. and immediately look like they are ready to play at the top level i mean you know it's one of those things with the with that arsenal invincibles team people you know get very or even the pre invincibles teams you know the the, the early wenger teams people kind of get angry because we're not able to emulate that success. But you look at the players who played in those teams and three quarter of those players were some of the best players their countries have ever produced. And, and at the time at their peaks were some of the best players in the world. I mean, the fact is, Wenger did an amazing job accumulating those players, but had he been slightly more tactically um, detailed, they would have achieved even more. Um, yeah. and and had the manager been given a bit more money to augment the squad around them so that the level of the outside the first 14, 15 players didn't drop off but they were, you know they were just a lot of absolutely top level players playing at a team at the same time and the fact is is unless you can develop those players or find them hiding under a rock somewhere to accumulate a team of that level of quality now takes, you know hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds and unfortunately our attempts to do that have failed because we haven't spent well enough and we've combined not spending well enough with not selling well at all and so we've ended up being in a situation where we've tried to act like a big club in a in a market where the big clubs are all either like the, the one dominant team in their league or have the backing of billionaires throwing money at the problem um and uh, that, that sort of leaves us in the situation we are now. Uh, just before we wrap up, because I know you've got to zoom off in a minute, um, does this mean it's time for Project Youth 2.0? Discuss. It would be unwise of me to say yes, but in mind what I said a few seconds ago, <laughs> uh, paying, paying with points. But um, why not? I mean, I, I think... We probably need a bit of excitement at the moment, I, and I, I just wonder if we're not going to trust Mezzetters, maybe there's someone else waiting in the wings to step in. I don't know. Are, are we talking more long term? Well, I'm think I'm talking both. I mean, if even if, if you're talking long term, it has to start start somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I guess I'm just mean from the perspective of you know it's clear that the belt tightening has come in. We've some of us have probably heard about the memo that was sent round from KSC asking about cost savings at the club. Quite apart from the fact that we can now only loan players and we've spent all this money with it with very little return. Um, we're likely to be in a much better position in the summer. Is that I well? I mean, for wages, we're we're going to be in a bit of a better position because obviously Ramsey and Welbeck and probably Petr Cech are going to be off and that frees up over £300,000 a week and of course you're allowed to have a slight increase every year so um, and we've got the spade change of sponsorship which will help a bit so we're probably going to have safe depending on contract renewals which shouldn't be too great because we've done most of that already we should have an extra Five hundred grand a week to spend on wages across the squad. Uh, I don't know what our transfer kitty is now because, of course, now KSC have taken over. <laughs> we can't see the figures. Yeah. Um, but I, I. But I was. I guess one reason why I'm sort of vaguely pro Project Youth is because Wenger's one failed because ultimately in the long run because it was too much Project Youth and not enough established people alongside it. You know, you had your. 
we, if we were buying uh, first team players that were proven, they were buying 10 million max, you know. Whereas now, at least we're in a situation where if we can get some of these players coming through and being able to contribute as regular members of the squad at a top flight level, then that's going to make us more able to then not quite the Galacticos and the Pavons at Real Madrid, but have more of that balance between between you know getting the, the cheap people in to facilitate you spending more money on the players that are going to actually be those special players that take you to the next level. You yeah. Know? Um, you know, we've all seen what difference, say, Van Dijk has made at Liverpool once he'd gone through his maturing at Southampton. And I think that's the thing now, isn't it? We're actually going to go and... Well, it feels like we're going to go and sign players we might need as opposed to signing players because they're good and because they're available. Yeah, I mean, certainly the clubs seem to be less inclined to... You know, all the noises at the club see they're talking about positions that we all know they need. We bought, you know, immediately bought a central defender and a defensive midfielder and the club are talking about buying another defender and a winger, which everyone in world football from the outside has known that we've needed for about three years. So at least it seems like the process is making sense and and, and obviously a big part of that is the restructuring of the club. You know, input, there is more than one mind being involved in decision-making or more than one or two minds being involved in decision-making at the highest level and, you know, we're adding to our expertise. Which has also cost us money, you know, bringing these people out of their contracts at previous clubs and what have you. Um, anyway, I know you've got to go because essentially you're going to get kicked out of the room you're recording in, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, so that I need seems, to go. That seems like a logical time to conclude. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I mean, it, before you go then, Paul, any thoughts about the Chelsea game? <laughs> um, I've arranged to go to Leeds this weekend. I did have check the fixture calendar before I arranged it and hmm. um, played with my mate, who, the West Ham fan, actually. Oh, right. And that was fine because he had BT Sport last time I was there, but his um, son works for Sky, so he switched over to Sky and now doesn't have BT Sport. And um, I think we're on babysitting, oh. maybe on Saturday, so it could be complaints at the house. Um, none of which is relevant, I guess. I I think a draw probably is as optimistic as I'm going to get at the moment. I just feel we seem to be in a bit of a funk at the moment. And um, Chelsea Football Club are the last guys you want turning up when you're in a bit of a funk. Um, so, yeah, one all. I'm going for. I actually think we'll win because uh, because we're playing at home, which makes a big difference to us and has done the last two or three seasons. And I think Chelsea have been stumbling through recent fixtures quite a lot. Um, the big question mark is is which Eden Hazard turns up. Is it the one that tears us a new arsehole or is it one that is playing slightly out of position and therefore is limited in his effectiveness? And I think that's going to define the game. Um, the the, the arsehole terror normally turns up against us. <laughs> well, certainly at their place, but we're at home this time. So so that gives me some sense of optimism. And I, and I, do, I was just yeah, going to say, I do, I, I do think... We could we can get at Jorginho, which would disrupt their play significantly. But anyway, so hopefully we go to four at the back. Well, that's what I'm hoping. Well, assuming Monreal's fit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I shall right, let you mate. go, Paul. Uh, but thanks, thanks for listening. If you got this for our listeners, and thanks for joining us, Paul. And uh, Thank let's, you for me. let's hope that my prediction mate. for the weekend is correct. <laughs> All right. Cheers, mate. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.